And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, a special hello goes out to the director of media for the Boston Bruins alumni, Mr. Mark Boland. Nice to see you, Marky. Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the home of behind-the-scenes interviews, stories, and memories that celebrate the heritage of the great game of hockey. The Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is hosted by Mark Willand. Left side shot comes across the line. He's tied up, pulled down, no call. Sent side of the net. Gardner comes out, back in his back. Well, Paul Gardner left alone momentarily, and that's all he needs around the net because he's got a great scoring touch. Took that pass. Episode 25 of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast features Paul Gardner, a consistent 30-goal scorer with the Pittsburgh Penguins, Toronto Maple Leafs, and Colorado Rockies in the 1970s and 80s. Paul comes from a legendary hockey family, which includes his father Cal, an all-star sentiment with the Bruins, Leafs, Blackhawks, and Rangers, and his brother Dave, a first-round NHL pick and longtime NHL pro. With the Penguins, Paul twice led the NHL in power play goals. Blessed with a great touch around the net, his career average of 36 goals scored per 80 games ranks 55th among all NHL players, past and present. Unfortunately, Paul's NHL career was short-circuited by a pair of severe injuries, including a broken jaw, the result of an infamous blindside attack by Winnipeg's Jimmy Mann that cost him 22 games and a potential 50-goal season in 81-82. Paul tore through the AHL at an incredible rate in the mid-80s and eventually launched a long and successful coaching career, which included a five-year stint with Barry Trotz and the Nashville Predators. Paul is a terrific guy and an excellent interview, and you'll enjoy his take on his interesting career and the many characters he crossed paths with as a pro. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Now, let's talk classic hockey with Paul Gardner. Well, we're back on the show with one of hockey's most productive players of the 70s and 80s, Paul Gardner. Paul, thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Paul, you grew up in hockey royalty. You're Father Cal Gardner, great player, all-star with the Maple Leafs, I believe. I know the Boston Bruins. That his, his playing career was prior to, I think, your birth. As a matter of fact, uh, as you were yeah. as you were growing up, we were aware of uh, how famous your dad was. Yeah, yeah, I guess I was. Uh, obviously, as a as a small tot, you, you don't realize it. But once I, we started, uh, you know, school and then going out places and I got to, I guess, the age of seven and eight, uh, everywhere you went uh, in Toronto where we grew up, uh, they wanted dad's autograph. And, uh, you know, we would play my hockey. You'd go to the rink and lots of people would always want to talk to him and everything. So you started to to realize that a little bit. And then when I got up a little older and into my teens, uh, people would uh, – sit and talk to me about my dad's career and you know you'd see things around the house and, mm-hmm. and everything so I became very aware of it and I uh, was certainly uh, very proud of uh, what my dad accomplished 12 seasons and two Stanley Cups so um, yeah I was very very proud of, of dad. Yeah. Did he 
I don't want to say push you to play hockey, but he does. He seems in the interviews I see, he seems like a pretty low key type of guy. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was just it was something I, I had the feeling that hockey for yourself and your brother brother was something that was just uh, enjoyable and there wasn't a lot of pressure. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. There wasn't uh, there wasn't pressure to play. It was whatever we wanted to do. Um, you know, if you didn't want to play, uh, we you know they certainly weren't going to sign you up. But we had. had my brother and I, growing up, uh, we played golf and we played uh, baseball, and then uh, obviously we played hockey in the winter time. And we had a rink in the backyard, which I think is where we we certainly learned a lot of our skills and uh, everything. But there was never any pressure. Dad would come to the games and uh, generally sit often by himself up in the corner and watch the game and say a few things after and. Uh, uh, and everything, but, uh, there was never, was never pushed upon to play actually, uh, probably a, a couple of times in my career, he held me back from, from moving to higher levels. He just mm-hmm. wanted me to play with the, the, the kids that were my age and, uh, you know, not get uh, pushed up into say junior a or, or anything like that too quickly. So, uh, I think in the long run, it, it worked out great for us. And, uh, uh, to be truthful, I had a more love for baseball up until probably about 16 or 17 years old, and then mm-hmm. it all changed. So, yeah. <laughs> Either way, that Gardner hand-eye coordination would help you in any any <laughs> any any sport. It was obvious. And speaking of that, your brother goes on to become one of the great OHA players of all time. Centers a historically productive line with Billy Harris and Steve Shutt, Toronto Marlboros. It had to be. I, I guess my question is: as, as you're watching him as a as a youngster, it has to be very influential. Going to Maple Leaf Gardens, watching him play, big crowds to see those teams, and uh, I'm sure it made quite an impression on you. It really did. It was great. I looked forward to again going to Maple Leaf Gardens and sitting with mom and dad and uh, and watching David play and have his success and. I think uh, a big part of that, uh, knowing uh, who Dad was, and uh, then uh, seeing David's success, uh, a lot of my friends at that age, when I was 15 or 16, you know, kept saying, "Well, you're never going to be as good as your dad. You're never going to be as good as your brother." And uh, quietly, it sort of hit home, and I sort of, to myself, said, "Yes, I am. I'm going to be just as good, or mm-hmm. or certainly try to be." And that was my driving force, I think, to. Uh, to a lot of people to prove a lot of people wrong, I guess, because I wasn't as good a skater as, as David and, and dad. And, uh, and so there was a lot of knocks on, uh, on my game, I think. But, uh, uh again, I was, uh, you know, very, very proud of David and, uh, it was certainly special to see him uh, get drafted to Montreal and, uh, and play in the NHL. And it was, uh, a even bigger treat to play against him a few times. Oh, I can imagine. But for yourself now, you go into your second and final season in the OHA with Oshawa, and then you start to really develop with 144 points in 75-76 and become a number one NHL uh, draft pick of the Kansas City Scouts. What was your reaction? I think they were still the Scouts then. And Yes, what, they were. Yeah. What was your reaction upon being drafted by Kansas City? Uh, Scouts, obviously a team that was at that time just two years old. And uh, just right. curious what your, your thought process was when your name was called by, by the Scouts. Well, it was, uh, I guess it was sort of uh, mixed reactions. I think as a family, uh, we were very happy to, you know, to be picked in the first round. And, uh, 
and to go to Kansas City because there was uh, an opportunity to play a little quicker than uh, when David uh, David got drafted in the first round. He got picked by Montreal, and uh, you know there wasn't as many openings or spots, if if any, on that uh, team. So right. I think when we looked at it that way, it was a, a chance maybe to play in the in the big leagues uh, right away, and uh, so I was very excited about it. The the problem. Uh, at that time, I was drafted by them, uh, the Kansas City, and by the Birmingham Bulls and the WHA, and and both teams were on the verge of moving or folding. <laughs> so there was right, some right. there was some uncertainty to it all. But uh, when they moved to Colorado and became the Rockies, um, everything settled down uh, quite a bit. But uh, yeah, I was very 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 proud of uh, of uh, being picked in the first round, and uh, certainly wanted to. Uh, show Colorado that they uh, didn't make a mistake. But uh, it certainly wasn't the, the big deal that it is uh, these days. I was uh, <laughs> caddying for my brother in a golf tournament in Las Vegas when I got the news. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It's, it's interesting you mentioned that, too. I had forgotten that the Toronto Toros, I, it would, would have seemed the natural for you if the Toros uh, had stayed in Toronto to perhaps take a look at them. However, of course, as you noted, they were in the process of moving to Birmingham. So for yourself, now right. the... Scouts become the Colorado Rockies, and I was curious about that first training camp. You're in your first NHL camp, and what are your impressions, and what's it like for a young guy going into the uh, NHL training camp for the first time? Well, it was uh, it was uh, a great experience. You, you thought you were in shape uh, as a youngster, but going to uh, Denver in the thin air and uh, – Oh yeah, training right. with men, uh, training with men rather than training with uh, boys. It was uh, it was a difficult uh, um, experience, but it was it was great. I mean, I certainly remember quite a bit of it. The one uh, player uh, who looked after me, and people may find it, it unusual, was Steve Durbano. Steve was a oh, extremely tough uh, a tough hockey player who played for the Marlies with my brother and. Uh, when I got drafted to uh, Colorado um, and we were going to be at training camp to, together, Steve called my brother David and said that he'd, uh, he'd look out for me and make sure that uh, everything was okay. So uh, Steve was my ride quite a bit to training camp, but it was, it was difficult in the thin air. And, uh, but it was again, a great experience and um, found myself sent to the, to the minors uh, right off the bat with the uh, uh, explanation that, they had a lot of veteran players that they wanted to move and that Mike Kitchen and I should start our season uh, in Providence in the minors. Right. Well, it's so interesting. You mentioned Steve Durbano, who <laughs> should probably get to make a movie about his life, and I can't imagine. So I've got the connection with the Toronto Marlboros uh, and your brother, but you know, that had right. to be an interesting. Of all people to look after you, I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> no one's going to mess with you. But um, right. it had to be a... One of the most interesting characters you've ever run across in your career. Yeah, certainly. Steve was uh, he was a great teammate, uh, but he was uh, he was a little scary at times in practice or definitely in the games. You were glad he was on his uh, on your side. Uh, had a little bit of a a wild side uh, off the ice, um, also. So, but uh, he uh, he could make uh, for some um, some long stories uh, <laughs> if, if you wanted to sit down, but. Uh, for me, he was uh, he was very good. He looked again. He looked out for me, uh, even though you know we were only four years uh, difference. Um, uh, he just uh, you know made sure I was okay all the time. And again, as we say, a, a great guy to have on your side. But uh, 
later on he had a few troubles and uh um yeah but uh you go down to Rhode Island, play for the Reds, and so at that point of your career, I'm, I'm following you in the hockey news, and you're looking at the stats, and you're tearing it apart there, and you get the call to the NHL, and you're very productive right off the bat, and it's kind of a lot of the way your, your career went. You know, if you look at your stats per 80 games in your career, I think you averaged about 36 goals per 80 games, and that first year with the Rockies... In just sixty games, you score thirty. Uh, do you remember your, your you remember your first NHL game and your first NHL goal? Yeah, I certainly do. I don't I don't think there's a player that uh, forgets that. Uh, we played uh, Friday night in uh, Providence uh, with the Providence Reds, and I got told that I was going to Montreal to play in the Forum uh, for the Rockies. Uh, so it was uh, it was a great thrill. Mike Kitchen and I both got called up together and. Uh, so I called my parents, and uh, Dad uh, was and Mom were thrilled, and uh, Dad said, "Just have a couple beers, relax, get some sleep, and uh, and good luck." And uh, so we got to Montreal and got to play. And um, as a team, we tied three-three, but I was able to score in the uh, in the oh. second period against Kenny Kenny Dryden and uh, Sean Shanahan and uh, and uh, oh, Will Paymont assisting on it and. Uh, so it was a big thrill for me that I'll uh, never forget. And quite interesting, both my brother and I scored in our first NHL games, both in the second period and both in the Montreal Forum. But David, uh, his was for the Montreal Canadiens mm-hmm. and mine was against the Canadiens, yes. But either way, not yeah. a better place to score your first goal than the fabled Forum in Montreal. And Paul, so right. you, it's, it's a strong season for you, obviously. And you come back the next year, the Rockies had... Barry back in the draft that year, and uh, the team, I believe it was seventy, yeah, seventy-eight. You guys made the playoffs that year, um, right. and played. Right. Now, I was talking to Freddie Ahern about that recently, and he was talking about how much of a fun experience that was. And you guys gave you know, the Flyers a pretty good, you know, battle in in that that first right. round. But it was a big step for the franchise. I guess my first question would be. The impact that Barry Beck had as a as a kid, nineteen years old. Uh, what type of uh, of a rookie was he, and what are you, what are your memories of him back then? Well, it, it was a, a sensational player and a, and a great guy. Uh, my first impression was I walked into uh, his room in training camp. We were all checking in, and he was lying. Uh, <laughs> naked on the bed uh, enjoying some TV and uh, talking with his I was talking with his room, roommate so there was my first impression but uh, uh, Barry was a Greg and a great great teammate uh, just added toughness to our team it just made us all bigger and stronger and uh, we went into Philadelphia where they were the Broad Street bullies and he won a couple of fights and because um, everybody was after him but uh, yeah, he was a great, great addition to our team, and uh, I've actually kept in touch with Barry, uh, and and you know was a, was a good friend. But uh, um, yeah, I'm glad he got to New York and to sort of show his talents there. But yeah, again, we were uh, we were uh, certainly a much more competitive team, and uh, teams uh, worried about us a little bit more, even though we were only a second year team. And as you said, we were able to to make it to the playoffs and give Philadelphia a little bit of a go in the first round. Paul, that year and. In- just 46 games you once again hit that magic 30 mark and so yeah you projected out over over season uh obviously it's a 50 goal pace 
but I, 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 right. I don't remember what happened to you that year. I, I'm assuming you were injured. Yes, I, I broke a vertebrae in my lower back. Um, I got cross-checked into the end boards uh, by Bob Daly against uh, Philadelphia one night at home and uh, ended up, uh, again, uh, breaking a vertebrae in my lower back and was put in, a, in what they called a body cast for six months. Um, I wore this brace uh, type of, of cast where I could only take it off uh, to shower and then put it back on, but... Uh, so at that time, uh, I was talked to by a few doctors and uh, a retirement was mentioned, but I, I said, well, let's see how it heals. And it was very fortunate that it fused on its own and, um, and they gave me the okay to go back and play. Uh, the only problems I had with it, uh, that, that, that I gained a lot of weight because I wasn't able to, to exercise. So the start of next year was a, was a grind, uh, trying to, trying to lose some compounds and, and get back into the lineup but uh yeah it was a, a real difficult injury for me but uh we were able to battle through it despite that the next season you do reach the 30 goal mark again however it's split between two teams you're traded from colorado uh, back home to the toronto maple leafs and you're real productive with the leafs when you arrive seven goals in just 11 games but that franchise at the time had a glut of centermen over that, that stretch that you were there. You had Daryl Sittler, you had Walt McKechnie, uh, Billy DeLego got there. Um, right. So what was the... I, I, I found the trade to be curious, first of all. Uh, was it a surprise to you, and what was your reaction to it? Well, I, I was... Uh, it, it happened in the middle of the, my third year there. Uh, we were We were struggling in Colorado, and my name came up for... Uh, trades uh kept hearing my name to be traded and i really thought actually that i was going to chicago um on the deadline and uh, when i walked into the, the meeting with the general manager he told me i had been traded to chicago he was on the phone and he said uh, uh i'll be with you in a minute uh, just let you know you're going to chicago and so and i sat there and waited and he put down the phone and and then he apologized and said, I'm so sorry, you're going to Toronto. So, mm -hmm. um, but I was um, thrilled to be traded to the Maple Leafs, uh, even though it, when I got there, uh, Jim Gregory and Roger Nielsen sat down and talked to me and said, "It's gonna you're going to be used in uh, basically only offensive situations. We think we've got a real solid team and we need a little bit of scoring. So, again, I loved playing for the Maple Leafs. Uh, unfortunately, um, Roger uh, Nielsen and Jim Gregory got let go that summer and, uh, punch him and Floyd Smith came in and made lots of changes and mixed things around. So, um, uh, the next year wasn't as much fun for, for myself or for a lot of guys. And, uh, I again, end up in the minors and then a year later found myself traded to Pittsburgh. Right, it was kind of a dark period in Leafs history, that stretch uh, from that year through several years into the 80s. As you noted, uh, you were spared all that and end up uh, eventually a, a brief stay, two brief stays in the American Hockey League, where as always, and I think in the end of it, Paul Gardner, you're going to end up, when you look at the stats, one of the most prolific players in the history of the American Hockey League, too. And that was one of the things as a fan, you're looking at it, you're scoring like crazy in the NHL, you're scoring like crazy in the NHL. You say to yourself, somebody just take this guy, give him a regular shift, get him on the power play. And the Penguins did just that. You started there in 80-81, 34-goal uh, season. Talk a little bit about going to Pittsburgh and, you know, Pittsburgh in the pre-Mario days, you're still trying to sell the game there. 
Um, but talk a little bit about playing in, in Pittsburgh and for the Penguins in the early 80s. Well, again, for me, it was uh, it was a blessing to get back into the big leagues and to show what I could do. And uh, Eddie Johnson, uh, Baz Bastine uh, had confidence in me, and they put me on the power play and gave me a lot of ice time. And I was, you know, fortunate to play with uh, Ricky Kehoe majority of my time there, a great player. And uh, so they were productive years uh, for myself. Um, and I and I love Pittsburgh. Uh, Three of my children were born there, and it's still a still a very favorite place for me. But again, it was a it was a lot of ice time, and as you said, we were trying to sell the game. We we gave uh, the Islanders in St. Louis all they could handle in the playoffs right. in, in a couple of years, um, and then uh, things again after three years uh, slipped a little bit, and uh, then they eyed up uh, Mario coming, and so they they made some moves <laughs> to help get Mario there, but. Uh, Eddie Johnson uh, played me a, a tremendous amount and had lots of confidence in me. And uh, uh, again, I I really enjoyed my days there and uh, was able to lead the power play NHL and power play goals a couple of years. And so it's uh, certainly a, a popular place for me. But when I talk to to people now, they say, uh, "What about Pittsburgh? How when did you play there?" And I always tell them, "BM before Mario." <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, but. Um, you know, then uh, again, it was it, it was great. I, I continued to live there and and enjoy my enjoy my time there. And uh, again, got to play with some great players. Randy Carlisle ran our, our power play, and I I just tried to tip in as many of his shots and Ricky's as I could. Well, you certainly were uh, effective in front of the of the net. Obviously, you, you everybody knows you for that. Your ability to, to convert in front of the goal, and as you said, Randy Carlisle was on his way to a Norris Trophy season. I believe it was 80-81. Rick Kehoe, uh, 55 goals. And as you said, in two years, the St. Louis Blues had a great 80-81 season. You guys almost knocked them off in round one. And, of course, you almost right. de- you almost derailed that whole Islander dynasty. Again, just one game, one goal away from doing right. that. One of the players that always intrigued me. Now, as a fan, I can't tell you that I... I I liked him much. I wasn't a big fan of him, but uh, he had a heck of a career for himself. Uh, Paul Baxter. Uh, what type of guy was was Paul? Obviously tough and uh, a good defenseman, but what type of teammate was he? Well, he was certainly a, you know a good teammate. He uh, he was was a tough player, and he he protected uh, all of us. Anytime there was a skirmish going on, Paul was certainly right there and a very competitive guy. Uh, quite a quite a co- quiet guy, uh, sort of off the ice. Um, real family man, uh, very religious uh, person uh, uh, on the you know on the off days and, and things like that. But uh, when it got time to play, he was very very competitive, and I think he had better skills than a lot of people thought. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think everybody thought him as a tough guy, but uh, he could score and make some good plays and some good passes uh, when the time was right. So um, you know, he was a good teammate and. Uh, um, had a you know had a good career for himself. Yeah, he sure did. Paul, on a sour note, and I I, I asked this for for two reasons. Uh, number one, you're in the short end of one of the hockey's most vicious attacks that I ever I ever saw yeah. uh, with Jimmy Mann. 
um, which right. incredibly he got a 10-game suspension for while you missed 20-plus, but uh, that's beside the point. But the, the point is it's a uh, it's a blindside shot for which you're not prepared. Obviously, you uh, suffer a broken jaw. And my, my question I ask is I most recently talked to Brian Propp, who had a similar circumstance with Chris Chelios in 1989, and we talked a little bit about the psychological impact that would have getting your, your mind back where it should be when you come back to play. So my question is, after suffering uh, uh, such a uh, uh, horrific injury, did it affect you mentally at all when you came back? Were you looking well, over your shoulder at all or, or no? I, I don't believe so. Uh, there's, some, there's some people that uh, in the Pittsburgh area that hinted that I didn't go to the net as hard as uh, I did before. But uh, if you look at my stats when I came back from the, the injury, I was still able to uh, you know, put up some, some goal-scoring numbers. And, uh, um, you know, I just, uh, I, again, I don't, I don't believe it did. Maybe, maybe it, it did, and I didn't, I didn't recognize it. But, uh, yeah, it was certainly an, an ugly, uh, ugly incident. And uh, uh, still get reminded about it, uh, you know, quite a bit when people talk about my career, and that's okay. That, you know, things happen. <laughs> Sorry about that. That, that way. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's uh it, it's uh, interesting. I went to Pittsburgh uh, this year for the alumni golf tournament, and the limousine driver that picked me up—that was the first thing that he mentioned. Uh, he asked if I ever get the guy back that punched me. So it's uh, <laughs> it's sort of what I, uh, in some ways, I became famous for in in Pittsburgh. But it's uh, it was a ugly part of the game, and uh, uh, those things happen. You spent a lot of time in front of the net and a lot of time against opposing defensemen. I was curious, in that era, that was in the late 70s, early 80s, a lot of great defensemen. In your opinion, who were the the, the, the toughest defensemen you had to play against uh, on a nightly basis? Oh, wow. Well, the guy, <laughs> the guy that I hated the most, if, if you want that, and not not personally hated, but was most difficult to play against was the uh, uh, Jerry Hart was a defenseman with the Islanders, mm-hmm. and uh, he was always the guy uh, killing penalties. He wasn't uh, the biggest guy, but he was strong as could be, and he would uh, he would position himself in front, and we'd start battling, and he'd grab my stick and hold on to it, and then he'd fall. And then we'd end up both falling down to the ice and wrestling around and trying to get back up and, uh, and everything. So he's certainly the, the one guy that I re- – remember a lot he wasn't a dirty player he was just a real hard guy to play against and i would i would love to play against him if they they had that holding the stick penalty uh, that they do now that they didn't have back in in those days but uh now there was some there was some real 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 tough guys in front of the net you'd have to sort of pick your spot when to slide in and slide out and and things like that but uh <laughs> It was a pleasure, really, to play against all these guys at that at that level. Um, you know, anytime I've been able to catch up with any of them on Facebook or see them somewhere, anybody I played against, it was it's a pleasure to talk to these guys. They're all competitive, like myself, and all wanted to win. But uh, Jerry Hart's the one that I guess I remember the most because of a lot of games against the Islanders and right. and stuff, and him and I battling in front of the net. On the other end, Paul, uh, who was the best? Uh, Best forward that you played against. You played against a lot of greats, a lot of Hall of Famers. Yeah. Uh, who's uh, who's who's yeah. the one guy that uh, that impressed you the most? Obviously, you played against Gretzky, but uh, right. who who's the one guy when you were out there was the toughest for you to to handle from a defensive standpoint um, on the other side? 
Well, I mean, it, it's hard not to say Wayne Gretzky, but he played with a tremendous, uh, tremendous team. Uh, and, uh, you know, Edmonton always gave us fits and, uh, Wayne was the, was the, the class of the league and, and by far the, uh, the, you know, the best player that I think I played against the, the toughest guy, the guy that gave me, uh, the hardest time that I couldn't win a face off against. And I battled and always became, uh, a sore and everything after was Brian Trotche. Mm-hmm. He was a he was a bull of a man, uh, strong, competitive, uh, a little bit dirty when he had to be, and uh, you know, and played with great players too. So you'd always end up and be about three and thirteen on your faceoffs and a minus two after you come playing against the <laughs> Islanders and and an ice bag on somewhere. So Brian was a Brian was a was a great player, and I've got to know him. Uh, through the Penguins alumni, and we enjoy some laughs together. But uh, yeah, he certainly was a great player. But uh, I think that Wayne Gretzky was the uh, by far the class of the league, and the, and uh, had some uh, great moments uh, off the ice uh, with Wayne uh, in a, a few charity events and everything. So mm-hmm. he certainly, uh, you know, ranks way up there with with great people. Um, but got to meet uh, Bobby Orr and play against him a little bit, and. Uh, Obviously, in Pittsburgh, uh, knowing Mario, they're they're all were were fabulous, fabulous players. I was wondering if uh, Bobby Orr came to practice at all with the Penguins, with with uh, Eddie Johnston leading the way there. Yeah, not not uh, when I was around, but uh, when we were in Chicago, Bobby was at, at with Chicago at the time, and uh, um, um, I got to uh, through Eddie uh, and our agent. I got to meet Bobby uh, quite a few times, and I worked at his uh, hockey school one oh. year. Him, Mike Walton, had a hockey school. Right. So Bobby became a, you know, a friend, and uh, we we both at the time had Al Eagleson as an agent. So I ran into him at a few charity events and everything. But he was a great, uh, he was a great. Uh, person always willing to help and, and everything and just always smiling, always positive. And, uh, again, one of the, one of the classiest guys that I got to meet in this, in this fabulous game. And, uh, uh, would love to see him again and get a chance to talk to him again at, at some point. But, uh, yeah, Bobby, uh, again, he'd see your game and always make a, a comment to try and help or just give you a positive pat on the back type of thing. Mm-hmm. Paul, after the 82-83 season, another good season, 28 goals in 78 games, uh, 70 games. After that, uh, the next season, you find yourself in the American League with, with Baltimore. And that begins basically a three-year stretch where you are scoring at an unbelievable place. Gretzky type of numbers in the American Hockey League. First of all, how does it end up, and one of my, my mysteries of a hockey-watching career is how does it end up that you're not in the National Hockey League? You never were unproductive. And so yeah. the question is, like, what circumstances uh, transpired that you find yourself stuck in the American League for that stretch? Um, I'm not quite sure. It's a, sort of a, a mystery at times uh, to myself. Uh, I mean, I went down uh, to, to Baltimore and uh, – uh, I know there was some circumstances there where it didn't bother Pittsburgh to lose because they were trying, uh, right. although they would never admit it, to finish last uh, in the uh, NHL to get Mario in the draft. So we had a heck of a Baltimore team down there um, and uh, probably should have won the on the Cup, but I think there was too many frustrated players uh, when playoff time came around. Um, mm-hmm. The next year I signed in Washington to be part of the power play and uh, – uh, 
signed a different type of contract so that I would play it quite a bit in Washington, but it didn't work out. I led the American League in scoring, and uh, the only good, I guess, is part of it is I enjoyed Binghamton and the people, but I was able to get to the NHL to score my 200 and 201 goals. I had no 199 at the time. And oh, yeah, right. uh, so I uh, was, uh, was thankful for the chance I was able to go up and sneak to in and uh, end up with uh, over 200 goals. Um, and then I uh, went to Rochester um, to be a player assistant coach in yeah, with the Buffalo organization. And uh, I think it got, just got felt that I was uh, doing such a good job uh, as an assistant coach down there that I got, I got left down there and um, scored 61 goals and set some records uh, with them that uh, never really got a chance to come up and play other than a, a couple of games. That, uh, and at that point, my back was, uh, was starting to give me some problems from the earlier injury. And I just didn't feel it was worth the, playing anymore in the minors if somebody would have given me an opportunity to you know maybe try the big leagues again I might have continued to play but uh, it just didn't seem worth it at the time that's understandable just quickly looking back to 84-85 the Binghamton Whalers teams I think you guys had about 53 guys go through that year but you also were there for the beginning of uh, Hartford Whalers uh, because of a dual affiliation the Hartford Whalers resurgence so you had Ray Ferraro Kevin Deneen Alf Samuelson, right. Dean Evison, Paul McDermott, and uh, head coach Larry Plo. So for yourself, you're in a circumstance that you don't necessarily want to be in, and but at the same time, you're providing leadership uh, to your teammates. And a you know, good friend of mine as well, David A. Jensen, uh, down there as well. I have fond memories of you. And um, so basically, that's a, that's a good life lesson here. So again, you're in a circumstance that's less than optimal, but you're making the best of it. And what is your recollection of yourself, your frame of mind, and all those young guys coming through Binghamton? Yeah, uh, there's some great young guys. Uh, we had to we had a real fun, uh, fun room. Uh, myself and Marty Howe were were there, and probably were the at the start of the year the two leaders uh, because of our of our age and experience and and everything. And as you say, we had some great young guys coming through. Kevin Deneen, uh, so excited for his first uh, professional game. He went out with uh, the suspenders down on his pants on the ice, you know, for, and. Uh, and I know Ray Ferreira was frustrated because uh, he couldn't get on the power play because uh, I was on the first power play. <laughs> and Ray was a great, great goal scorer and a great guy on the power play. And uh, I know at first he was frustrated with all that. But uh, we had a good mix. And when we knew that uh, Hartford uh, Brass were in town watching the game, the Washington guys would skate slower and warm up and make mistakes <laughs> and vice versa. We... Uh, um, we had a big trade uh, with involving Peter Sidorkowitz, the goalie in the midseason. So we we made players change stalls and everything, even though they were you know still saying with the same team. But uh, Larry Plo did a good job with us, and uh, you know was a good leader, and he helped uh, me start to think about coaching because uh, there was some times when he was sick or he had meetings to go to, and he would uh, leave me in charge of the guys to run practice, and that's sort of where I got a idea that I thought maybe I'd like to to get into the coaching ranks. Right. And as you said, you retired, you had a plan, and that was coaching, and you coached at various levels, including the National Hockey League, of course, for a, a long time. And 
uh, a lot of different circumstances, both Newmarket and Baltimore, Portland, a long stretch in Nashville. I could talk a little bit about, uh, I, I guess I could talk, we keep you here for about three hours talking about all this. You coach, <laughs> but I won't, I promise. But talk a little bit about um, that first year in Nash- Nashville. You're, you're coaching with my old friend Brent Peterson and uh, Barry Trotz, of course. And uh, what was it like? I mean, it had to be uh, had to be exciting. You guys had a pretty good team, uh, you know, uh, 28 wins. And uh, talk a little bit about that experience coaching there, Paul. Oh, it was it was fabulous. Um, the the year before, uh, the team Barry and I were hired, and uh, was probably the busiest uh, year of my life. Uh, moving my family to to Nashville and and, and getting a home there, and uh, and everything. It was um, was terrific. But uh, uh, Barry and I had to go scout on a nightly basis. And the the thing about it, uh, being a pro scout and going around, we didn't have a home game. So there was no place to come home and, sit right. and watch a couple of games and enjoy your family. So it was uh, probably 27, 28 games a month and all of them on the road, uh, different places. And we would come home on Mondays and meet with David Poyle and Barry and I would sit down the whole day meeting, going through our lists and uh, see our families Monday night and be back on the road on Tuesday. So it was a, it was a, very uh, long season, but it was so enjoyable. The people were so excited about hockey coming, and Craig Leopold, the terrific owner, uh, went out of his way to make everything, uh, you know, great for us and stuff like that. And uh, and uh, so we just uh, went along um, with uh, with uh, you know trying to get the team organized and everything, and then uh, we uh, got excited for the season to start, and the people were were going crazy and. Uh, they didn't fully understand the game. A couple of times in the first few games, we'd slap the puck from center and it would miss the goalie and hit the glass, and they were cheering like crazy. So <laughs> it, it took them a while to sort of catch on and uh, and and get excited about it. But it was uh, it was just super for me. I, I loved the city of Nashville. Um, uh, I got to you know meet some tremendous people. My wife. My wife was uh, in the uh, uh, the business of catering type of thing and, uh, and and worked for Marriott. And so anytime there was a, an event going on, quite a few of the times she was involved in it. So we got to meet a tremendous amount of uh, country music stars, and I loved country oh, music. And, great. Uh, so, so it made it great for us. We had uh, anytime there was an event or they knew someone special was coming to the uh, to the game, they would call uh, my wife Sherry to you know meet with them in the box and uh, entertain them. And uh, on uh, on Mr. Leopold's uh, money, we took out quite a few country stars for dinner. So it was it was a <laughs> it was a real special year, the first year. But we were a competitive team too. We we did our best at drafting um, guys that were hungry and that uh, uh, really played hard for 60 minutes, and that's all that Barry, uh, you know, pushed at them. That you play hard for 60 minutes, uh, we'll make some good things happen. And uh, Barry was great tactician, and uh, Brent and I did our best at, uh, you know, keeping guys revved up and and ready to play. And so I think it all uh, all was a good good start, and uh, obviously proud of where the where the franchise is now. But the the people made it fun. It's a fun city, and uh, it was uh, some great great memories there. Paul, looking back at your career, both well, first of all, I just want to ask you one question about your family, and that is, were you 
didn't necessarily bounce around coaching. In other words, you had long stretches everywhere you went, long in coaching years. Uh, you know, yeah. Four years in Newmarket, other, you know, four or five in Portland, other five in Nashville. What type of impact does that have on your family? You're, you're put down roots, solid roots, and then you have to <laughs> move. In, these, these aren't necessarily geographically close areas. You're going all over the place. I guess it's a great experience, new people, but what type of adjustment is that for the whole Gardner clan when you have to make those moves? Well, I had a tremendous uh, wife in, uh, in my wife, Sherry, who I, I mentioned, and uh, she was uh, willing to do anything or go anywhere that uh, we felt was good for myself. And uh, the kids, uh, my twins, uh, who are 17 now, are, uh, are still great travelers. Uh, mm-hmm. But they, uh, they settled uh, wherever it was uh, good for dad to go. And uh, later in my career, uh, lately I've been over in Europe and uh, have to leave them at home and everything. But uh, uh, without them, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And without their, uh, support, you know, I've always said to them, if you don't want me to go or you don't want to do this, we won't, we do it as a family. And, uh, um, I'm very, very lucky and blessed to have, um, uh, a family that, that supported me and especially my wife, Sherry, she, uh, she was always there for me quietly behind the scenes, uh, helping me and, uh, writing half of my emails, uh, because she was, <laughs> was better, better, better at it than me than my, my, my grammar. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's been a, a, a blessed life for us in, in lots of ways and hopefully maybe a, a couple more years at this coaching, uh, gig and then we can uh, really settle down. But, uh, um, uh, again, the, the, the children have been great and, uh, I think they've enjoyed coming over to Europe uh, when I've coached over there to to spend some time. And uh, um, again, it's a I'm a lucky guy. Absolutely, you sound that way. And wives, of course, are the most underrated people in hockey, no doubt about yeah. it. So you ended up uh, with good fortune there as well, Paul. My last question for you is: you look back, uh, the lessons you have met. Everybody who's anybody in hockey, you've been all kinds of places, up and down, good and bad. You take away from it uh, a lot of life lessons to be sure, but what type of, in, in the end, uh, what type of lessons in perseverance and overcoming obstacles would you share with others related to your own career and your own life and what you've learned? Well, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one because I've been, as you said, I've been blessed to meet a lot of good people and uh, learn a lot from, from some of my experiences. Uh, you know, early in my career, I scored uh, my 100th goal in Detroit and my 101 back in Toronto and then got sent to the minors the next day. And you sit and wonder, uh, wow. you know, what have you got to do to, uh, to, to stay in the big leagues? Um, so I think if uh, a person would like to sit down just to show how, how you got to just keep working at it and keep working at it, uh, is, is the biggest thing. And that's what I, I try and put to my son, who's now uh, going to head off to college to play college baseball and on a scholarship. And I just try and push at him to, to keep working. And if you enjoy it, um, biggest thing is to, to stay, to stay positive. Uh, uh, I had a high school um, teacher once uh, tell me after I didn't win an award that I thought I should get at the high school there was a the big award and mm-hmm. I didn't uh, receive it and he came up to me and shook my hand and said you had a great season and he said life is full of ups and downs to test us and and I never forgot that um, so it's, uh, it's very true there's a lot of great ups and there's a lot of uh, difficult downs and you just try and 
keep on an even keel. And if, if you're around me, you got to smile because I love to smile. I love to laugh and (laughs) (laughs) I love to tell jokes. And if you talk to a lot of my, a lot of my uh, players that played for me, I love pranks and, uh, (laughs) but that makes everything, that (laughs) that makes everything lots of fun. Absolutely. Well, this was a lot of fun, Paul. I greatly appreciate the time. I've wanted to talk to you for quite some time. I was always fascinated by your career for just for some of the reasons you, you talked about. Some things that were, you've, you've solved a few mysteries here for me tonight where, uh, like I said, you were in the end, when you look at it on a per-game basis, uh, there weren't a lot of players in the history of the game that scored more uh, than yourself. And I'm glad to have this opportunity to talk with you, and we'll uh, keep close tabs on you going forward, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Well, thank you very much. I'd love to uh, love to talk again anytime, and thanks for recognizing the stats. I know uh, my family's proud of it, and we're all proud of it, and hopefully, again, a couple more years of coaching, and uh, we can sit back and work on my golf game. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Sounds good, Paul. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you very much. All okay, right, let's do it again. You bet. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. Be sure to visit us at ProHockeyAlumni.org.